And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Yeah, so this morning we'll be looking just just at, I don't know, evil religion. Um, It's kind of like false religion, okay? But it's, it's actually evil intent. False religion actually is evil religion when you get down to the bare bones. Uh, religion is actually one of the greatest forces for evil in this world. Uh, Satan has probably done more to damage genuine Christianity through religion than through blatant wickedness or any other type of evil. In fact, the greatest crime in history, which we're you know kind of looking at this morning, or the beginnings of it anyway, it came about when Satan used a very religious man to betray the Son of God into the hands of other religious men who would then have him murdered. So our text introduces the events that directly lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, Judas Iscariot went to those Jewish religious leaders and he struck a bargain to betray Jesus into their hands away from the crowds. Now, the religious leaders' problem was that Jesus was popular with the crowds. If they arrested him publicly, it might result in a riot which, which, which would backfire on the leaders, right? They weren't looking to exalt Christ. They wanted him gone. Uh, they were considering waiting until the crowds dispersed. Okay, uh, this evening, uh, that, that Thursday evening, they were celebrating Passover. And, and for, the, for the Jew, the day starts at six, about 6 p.m., basically sundown, 6 p.m., and it goes through 6 p.m. the next day. So this, these events are later that night. All right. So it's happened after the Passover, but it's on the same day. And then after the Passover is a week-long feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so there's Jerusalem is swelling with people. So part of their plan is let's wait till things simmer down. Let's wait till the crowds go away, and then we'll see how we can get rid of Jesus. But when Jesus, uh, when Judas came to them, it suddenly opened up new possibilities. If he could hand Jesus over to them in a private setting, they could achieve their goal and yet avoid a riot. If the people raised any objections, they could blame Judas. I mean, this was a win-win for them. It was the opportunity they had been waiting for. Now, little did these leaders know that their sinister plot, including the changing of timing... It perfectly fulfilled the eternal counsel of God who had ordained that His Passover lamb would be slain on the same day as the Jewish Passover celebration. Uh, They were responsible for their terrible sin. That's clear in Scripture. And yet they inadvertently carried out God's plan for the salvation of the world. Here's what John Calvin says about this particular passage. He says, And it is of great importance for us to hold that Christ was not unexpectedly dragged to death by the violence of His enemies, but was led to it by the providence of God. For our confidence in the propitiation is founded on the conviction that He was offered to God as that sacrifice which God had appointed from the beginning. And therefore, he determined that his son would be sacrificed on the very day of the Passover, that ancient, 
that the ancient figure, he's referring there to the Passover lamb that each family uh, was to slay, so that the ancient figure might give place to the only sacrifice of eternal redemption. And he's talking about the lamb of God. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the spiritual lesson for us in these verses this morning uh, is since it's possible to be religious and yet be in league with Satan, we really need to guard against evil religion. So let's just bow and ask the Lord's blessing on this message. Father, uh, we come just to for more understanding. Lord, we, we need your Holy Spirit to speak the truth into our hearts so that we can see exactly what's going on. Um, Father, the fact that it is, yes, possible to be very religious and still not be a child of yours. In fact, we can do more harm, uh, Father, as a professing Christian who does not know you. So, God, I pray that you would just uh, speak to our hearts, help us to see this, help us to see areas in our own lives, even as believers, where we might be doing things our own way, which is a false religion. And in the end, it is an evil religion. So, God, uh, use this time to speak truth in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, four major points, a um, bunch of sub-points, but four major points. Number one, Satan uses religion more than any other tool to keep, me, to keep men in the domain of his darkness. Verse 3 there, Satan entered into Judas. Behind the scenes of world and personal events lurks an evil spirit, the devil, who is working for his own ends in the opposition to God. Now, Satan has many demons under his control. Okay? This says that Satan, Satan is not omnipresent. Right? He can only be in one place at a time. All right? Only deity is omnipresent. So this is big. Satan himself entered into um, Judas. If, he can, if, if Satan can pawn off counterfeit religions that keep people from the knowledge of the true God, then he can hold them in spiritual darkness. They think everything is fine between them and God when, in fact, it is not. Now, all of the world's major religions invariably promote the idea that man can save himself through some form of good works or just human effort. And inherent in such an approach to salvation are some fatally flawed notions. The biggest one, in my opinion, is the fact of God's absolute holiness. Twice in Scripture, Isaiah um, chapter 6 and then uh, Revelation 20, we have the seraphim who cry out, Holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God that is repeated like that. That says something. God is absolutely holy. Well, in, 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 their, in, in the good work scheme, God's absolute holiness has to be pulled down to a level where we can now approach Him with our good works as if, as if they're going to do anything. So the character of God is blasphemed. Man's sinfulness has to be downplayed and His goodness built up to the point that we can actually do something for ourselves concerning salvation. If we are not dead in our sins, as Paul says we are, if we are not alienated from, alienated from God to the degree that we can do nothing to remedy the situation, 
then we don't need a perfect substitute to atone for our sins. We don't need Christ to die for us and save us. We just need to try and do the best we can. And that's exactly how much of the world thinks. So we can see why Satan loves religion. It makes the cross unnecessary and it feeds the pride of sinful man. But we've got to go a step further. Point number two, people can profess and belong to true religion and yet be in league with Satan. Think about these chief priests and the scribes. They believed in the one true God of the Bible, the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed in uh, the scriptures, right? The authority of the scriptures. Um, Judas, uh, he wasn't a follower, just a follower of Jesus. He was, he was one of the twelve. And yet Judas and these religious leaders were in league with Satan in plotting for Jesus' death. Now, even so, there are many who profess to be Christians, but they are in harmony with Satan, uh, not with Christ. The Crusades. You remember the Crusades? Yeah, uh, what? Um, gosh, 1100, 1200? Uh, no, I guess only about 1,000 years ago or so. They were ostensibly carried out under the banner of Christianity, but there was nothing Christian about them. And Satan still uses them, the Crusades, today to malign the uh, true Christianity. People bring up, yo, what about the Crusades? Yeah, that wasn't true Christians doing that. The Inquisition uh, and the persecution carried on under the reign of Bloody Mary in England, they were done in, done in the name of the Christ. Yet those events and the people who responsible, were responsible for them, they were hideously evil. The Protestant Catholic terrorism in Northern Ireland, Ireland is not Christian in any sense of the word, but the world perceives it as Christian versus Christian. But it's not. Looking at the Jewish religious leaders and at Judas, we can see a number of dangers for all who hold to belief in the one true God. So these are things that we need to be aware of. And there's several of them. A, religious profession is not enough. The chief priests and scribes profess to know and fear the one true God. They profess to believe in the scriptures. Judas professed to be a follower of Christ, and yet they killed the sinless Savior. Anyone can make a profession of faith, but in and of itself, such a profession is not enough to guard us from evil religion. B, religious knowledge is not enough. These scribes and Pharisees, they had been studying the Hebrew Bible their entire lives. It was in their original language. Uh, many of them had committed huge sections, some the entire Torah, to memorization. These people knew the Bible. They could, but in spite of their impressive learning, they missed Christ. Their knowledge actually filled them with pride when it should have humbled them spiritual knowledge is good if it brings if it brings us to the true knowledge of god and of ourselves and that's what scripture does it reveals god to us but it also reveals ourselves and it's in the revealing of ourselves that we get humiliated we become humble because it tells us who we really are but if this knowledge if it puffs us up then we'll, it's going to bring us to ruin. 
We'll see religious position is not enough. These men were religious leaders of the nation. They had spiritual oversight of over a million Jews, but they crucified their Messiah. Judas was one of the 12 apostles. He was handpicked by Jesus Christ, and yet he betrayed the Savior of the world for a small bag of silver. You can be a pastor of a large church. You can be the leader of a denomination and yet be in league with Satan. Well, D, religious ritual is not enough. I just talked about the fact that they just celebrated Passover just a few hours before, and now they're, 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 they're going to go into this week-long celebration of unleavened bread. The Passover pictured God's salvation as seen in the Exodus. The Feast of Unleavened Bread that immediately followed pictured removing sin from our lives. Do you remember there wasn't to be any leaven in the house for the whole week? Leaven represents sin. And uh, so if they had taken to heart the message of Passover and of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, how could they have been, pl been plotting murder at the same time? It's easy to go through religious rituals and miss the message behind the ritual. That's one reason that we don't do communion weekly. A lot, a lot of fellowships do, okay? They, they do communion every week. I'm not against that. But what if it just becomes ritual? Uh, mafia, uh, they can go to a Catholic mass, right? Confess their sins, partake of the Eucharist, then go home that afternoon and, and, and arrange the murder of a rival. Church members can partake of communion and go home and verbally abuse their mates or their children. Ritual is not enough. Well, e, religious service is not enough. The chief priests and scribes had de uh, devoted their lives to religious duties. Judas had served uh, alongside of Christ for three plus years in about as close capacity as you can get. He had gone out with the other disciples preaching and healing the sick in Jesus' name. But all the religious service in the world is worthless if we betray Jesus. If religious affiliation is not enough. This is one that might afflict us today. Oh, I go to church. I'm good. Right? The chief priests and scribes, they were affiliated with the cream of the crop of religious leaders in Jerusalem. Judas was a member of the Twelve. He was personally acquainted with Peter, James, and John, not to mention Jesus. Do you think he could tell you some inside stories? You'd think that some of it would have rubbed off, but it didn't. You can know godly men. You can run in godly circles and not be godly yourself. Gee, Religious experience is not enough. Judas witnessed the many miracles of Christ. Uh, he had seen Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. He had watched as Jesus fed the 5,000 and later that night walked on the water. Jesus, he, he had seen Jesus hold just crowds of thousands spellbound by his teaching. But all of his spiritual experiences did not keep Judas from betraying Jesus. Well, even so, people today, they report all sorts of interesting and, and amazing and maybe even a little bizarre spiritual experiences. Uh, 
speaking in tongues, laughing uncontrollably, barking like dogs, roaring like lions, getting slain in the spirit, laying prostrate on the floor, uh, going to evangelistic meetings and just feeling a warm glow overcome them. That's how they describe it. But ask Judas. He will tell you that you can have amazing religious experiences and still betray the Savior. So religious experience is inadequate by itself. So if it's possible to profess to be a Christian and to do these other things that we've been talking about here and yet be in league with Satan, how can we guard against such evil religion in ourselves? Well, point number three, and it's got three points. At the core of evil religion are three things. Lack of genuine conversion. That's one. Two is rejection of Jesus as Lord. And three is the promotion of selfish desires under the guise of religious commitment. So let's look at each of those. A, evil religion lacks genuine, genuine conversion. Many different theories have been suggested as to why Judas would do such a thing as betray Jesus. But at the root of whatever motiv motivated Ju uh, Judas was this key factor. He was not a converted man. Now, that's the, that's the key difference between Judas and Peter. You remember, Peter, he failed miserably. He, he denied Jesus at his moment of greatest need, humanly speaking. And, and both men just felt terrible, were devastated after their failures. But the difference was, Peter was converted. Judas was not. Now, we need to understand that true conversion is not a matter of making a decision to follow Christ. I'm talking about conversion here, regeneration. A decision cannot save any, anyone. True conversion has nothing to do with anything that we can do. Rather, conversion is a matter of God imparting spiritual life to a person who, Paul says, is dead in their trespasses and sins. Not weak, not sickly, dead. Without God imparting life to our dead hearts, we cannot and will not believe in Christ or make a commitment to follow Him. Uh, this came to me earlier. First uh, Corinthians 2.14 kind of spells this out. It says, the natural person, and when Paul uses that little phrase, the natural person, he's talking about the person who does not know God. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to... Do you understand? This is a will. He will not, neither can he. It's a will not, and he cannot. All right? For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So without the Spirit, he's talking about regeneration there, we are not going to know God. James puts it this way in his epistle, James 1.18. He says, In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be the first fruits among His creatures. So it's God's doing. True conversion, then, is not something that people can will or believe into existence. True conversion is the mighty power of God through the gospel and it necessarily brings changes to your life. That's why Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Whereas before, before Christ, we were self-willed. Now we submit to God willingly. Before, we were proud of our goodness. <laughs> and now we are humbled by our sin. 
before we shrugged off or some way justified our sin, now we confess and mourn over our sin. Before we didn't really care about knowing God and now it is our one desire. When God saves you, He changes your heart. Remember what God told the people of Israel through Ezekiel. He says, I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So false religion, it lacks true conversion. Well, B, evil, evil religion rejects Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, by distinguishing this point from the previous one, I'm not suggesting that we first get saved and then at some later time, you know, make Christ Lord of our life as a, as a second step, as it were. A truly converted person bows before the lordship of Jesus Christ and seeks to bring every aspect of his life under Christ's lordship. The reason I'm separating this point is to emphasize something that many who profess to know Christ as Savior, they don't realize, namely, that they've never dethroned self and enthroned Christ as Lord. They came to Christ perhaps so that He could do something for them. Maybe they hoped He would fix their marriage or straighten out a rebellious child. Perhaps they hoped that He would simply make them happy. But their problems have only grown worse. They're disappointed with Christ. He hasn't given them what He had hoped, what they had hoped for. They're in danger of turning to false gods for help. Such people may not be truly converted at all because they're only using Christ to fulfill self, not denying self in order to follow Christ. Do you see the difference? Using, using Christ to fulfill self, not denying self, which was what Jesus said you have to do if you want to follow me, denying self to follow Him. Self is still in control for them. If Jesus will cooperate and give them what self wants, then they'll follow Jesus. If not, they'll turn to whatever else makes them happy. That is merely evil religion. That's when you're using religion to get what you want out of life. Now, I'm speculating just a bit here, but I'm betting I'm not far off the mark in suggesting that Judas was following Jesus for what he thought Jesus could provide for him. But he had not submitted himself to, to Christ's lordship. If Jesus is the Messiah and he can set up his kingdom and get rid of Rome, Judas was all on board. He was all in. Besides, as one of the twelve, he could probably get a top assignment in the new kingdom, right? But when Judas saw Jesus heading toward the cross, all of a sudden he was confused. He was disillusioned. This wasn't the kind of Messiah that he had envisioned. He hadn't signed on to face persecution and, and perhaps martyrdom. He wanted prestige. He wanted power and comfort. He was using Jesus for his own ends. And when Jesus didn't work, he was willing to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, each of us needs to ask ourselves, am I following Christ for what I can get out of him? If you are, that's the religion of Judas. Or have you submitted to Jesus as Lord no matter what the cost? That's true Christianity. We'll see. Evil religion promotes selfish desires under the guise of religious commitment. 
The Jewish leaders and Judas were re religious men. But their religion was simply a thin veneer over selfish desires. And their religion was a means to fulfilling those desires. There's three areas of selfish desires that these men shared. Number one was the desire for money and material things. We've already seen that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Jesus has already told us that. The fact that Judas received money for betraying Jesus, that confirms what John tells us in chapter 6, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 6, that Judas was a thief who pilfered out of the disciples' money box. That's what he was at heart, a thief. You see, evil religion, it doesn't kill greed. But God always confronts our greed. Covetousness is one of the Ten Commandments. Greed is often linked with idolatry and sexual immorality. If you're not constantly confronting your greed, you need to re-examine your faith. To betray the Son of God for money seems despicable beyond imagination. And yet, that's exactly what millions do. They profess to be Christians, but they live their lives consumed with the pursuit of material things. They cling to their things and they're deeply offended if anyone suggests that they give away their things for the cause of Christ. Sometimes they even cheat or lie or compromise their morals or their testimony so that they can get ahead. They are betraying Jesus for money. That's just what Judas did. Number two, we also see a desire for prestige and, and recognition. The Jewish leaders, we looked at this just a couple, couple weeks ago, they wanted the prestige that came from being uh, religious leaders there in Israel. They loved the respectful meet, uh, greetings in the marketplaces. They loved the, 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 the preferred seats there, the chief seats in the synagogue so that everybody could see them. They were uh, overly concerned about what people thought of them. They feared people when they should have feared God. We all need to judge our hearts. Uh, we can serve in the church for the recognition and prestige that it brings rather than out of love for Jesus Christ. Now, the third thing that, uh, that some evil desires is a desire for power and influence. Evil religion involves men in a contest for power. If you can work your way to the top, uh, you'll gain power, influence, so you play these religious politics. You network with those who have influence. You cater to the rich and the famous. You use guile and manipulation to get ahead in the religious world. And that's exactly what these religious leaders did. That's the game, the political games that they played. Jesus threatened their power base. He challenged their greed and corruption. He exposed their selfish motives. But rather than yielding to him, they decided to get rid of him. And Judas, he was using his inside information for his own ends. He should have judged his evil desire for power and influence. Well, we've seen that Satan uses evil religion to keep people in his domain of darkness. We've also seen that they can profess true religion and yet be in league with Satan. And we just looked at the core of evil religion, which is those three things, a lack of genuine conversion, the rejection of Christ as Lord, and the promotion of selfish desires under the guise of religious commitment. So number four, last major point quickly here, evil religion brings initial happiness and gain, but final ruin. You can say the same thing about sin, right? 
Sin is agreeable, pleasant, whatever, for a season. But then it leads to ruin. Verse 5, it says, and they were glad. Now, this is when he said, hey, I'll deliver him. And it says, they were glad and agreed to give him money. That kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. How can anyone be glad about the prospect of killing someone, especially the Son of God? How could Judas be glad about striking such a deal? I can see the chief priest going home that night and his wife said, Hey, you seem unusually happy. What's going on? And he said, It looks like we're finally going to get rid of that troublemaker, Jesus. What a relief. And Judas, picture him walking away uh, and tucking that bag of silver into his coat pocket, thinking about all the things that he can buy. But their happiness was short-lived. Their doom is eternal. The things that make you glad reveal your heart. If hearing that you just won the lottery or that you just got some huge inheritance that you didn't know about, if that's what makes you leap for joy, and it probably would most of us, that's a little understandable, but if you hear that the gospel has just penetrated an unreached people group for the very first time and you go, eh, ho-hum, you need to examine your heart. Something is wrong. The things that make God rejoice should make us rejoice. The things that make God grieve, namely sin, should make us grieve. Now, I hope that none of you are deceived. Avoid evil religion. Do not endorse it. Do not join with it. Make sure that your heart is right before God. Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Are you judging the sin, sin in your life on the heart level? Are you seeking to please God and to walk daily before Him? If you are, then you're going to avoid the danger of betraying God for a bag, or the Son of God for a bag of silver. Let's pray. Father, again, this is just kind of a scary passage to understand that, yes, uh, even religion, uh, Father, is a tool of Satan and is still used mightily today. And, Father, we don't want to be caught up in religion we want to be caught up in your Son, Jesus Christ. So just reveal that to our hearts. Show us where we may be walking close to a line, perhaps, or maybe we've crossed it, Father, and, and done some things that, yes, definitely fall into the things we talked about concerning evil religion. Convict us, Father, encourage us to walk that narrow path of Jesus. And we ask in His precious name, amen. Well, maybe out, you're out there and you don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, you, need to, you, need, you need to turn to God, okay? You need to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and you need to trust in what Jesus has already done on the cross. You've heard me say this before, and, and it goes kind of with the sermon today, the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is spelled D-O, and it's based on what you can do to get back to God. And, and the religions of the world, that's what they're all about. You know, God God has put eternity in our heart, and it's an empty void, and we try to fill it. So many, many, I'm, we're talking billions of people try to fill it with religion, and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It will not fill. It will not give significance. You cannot, you cannot derive importance from religion. It's a false system. 
That's religion. Do. It's what you can do to get back to God. Christianity is spelled done. And it's based on what Christ has already done on the cross. So you trust His finished work. All right? You admit that you're a sinner and you trust Christ's work on the cross for your salvation. That's all there is to salvation. It's not, it's not hard. It's not complicated. But it, it does take some thinking. It's not you bringing anything to God and saying, ain't I a great person? Do you love me now? <laughs> no. God loves you even in your sin. But you still got to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Christ this morning, come to me. Let's talk about it during the invitation. Uh, if you're a believer, I hope that, you know, somewhere along the line, some of these things stuck out and you just kind of went, huh. I didn't realize that that was actually evil religion. It's not true Christianity. Maybe it's just one little thing in your life. Maybe it's several things. Maybe it's something big. I don't know. That's between you and God. As a believer, you need to ferret that stuff out. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. It'll help you see this is evil religion. Even though you're participating, it's not right. It's not true Christianity. So look in your heart. Listen to the Lord. Make some changes. That's what He wants you to do. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.